Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Annapolis. You know, that young person who graduated college this past spring and is now getting ready to go get that big job? Well, here, guess what? Get over to Leon Tailoring and check out their career services division. They've got lots of good professional attire, reasonably priced for both your young men and young women who are getting off into that world of work. Hey, they graduated, they did all the interviews, now they got the big job coming up, so make sure they look the part. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware in downtown Indianapolis. That's Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Well, about 70 days of some change until the midterm elections show up. We figured we'd get a sort of a feel for what the lay of the land looks like. So join us on the news line is our good friend Andy Downs, professor emeritus of the Mike Downs Center for Indiana Politics at Purdue University up in Fort Wayne. So Andy, my friend, uh, happy retirement and uh, glad to have you here with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, so how would you describe Indiana's political landscape these days? You know, there are an awful lot of people who are saying, oh, look what happened in Kansas and look what happened in the special election in New York. And they're saying, oh, all sorts of excitement is going to happen. And then I would say, but remember, we're talking about Indiana. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way. What I mean is Indiana is not those places. And our elections are going to be different than that. We're in a conservative area, not that Kansas is not. Uh, and we are we're looking at races for things like state house, uh, state senate. Those races were established some time ago, and where there might even be some excitement and energy and the potential to change the outcome of an election, like some, let's say, took place in that special election in New York, we may not have those same characteristics here because some of the candidates who are on the ballot agreed to run to sort of fall on their sword. They may not be the best candidates around. They may not be able to marshal the resources to put a few more seats in play. And the likely outcome is that the Republicans will have majority control and possibly still supermajority control after the election. So while things are certainly exciting and dynamic and some of those factors will play here, at this point, I'm not so sure that they're going to change the, the outcome of any of the elections. I could be wrong, but I, that's the way I see it right now. It's interesting you bring that up because uh, one of the things that uh, we looked at was we did some polling uh, earlier this summer, uh, particularly on the Secretary of State's race, and uh, Diego Morales, Destiny Scott-Wells, and uh, Jeff Moore. And that's, uh, although the race was statistically tied, it was in the margin of error, uh, Destiny was actually ahead uh, a couple of points over Diego Morales, and there were a lot of undecided Republicans uh, in there, too. What does that tell you, my friend? Well, that, for me, is specific to that race. Uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, you, the other energy that's going on right now, the other factors that are in play, they are playing a role there. But what we have to remember is that the Republican Party nominated somebody who is probably not considered a mainstream Republican, uh, obviously well-received by the delegates to the convention. But the delegates are not necessarily the people in the total population who ascribe to that. Same thing's true on the Democratic side, by the way. So that's the first issue. Uh, the second issue is this is a guy who very quickly was people were reminded that he had worked in the office before, had been terminated before, uh, may not be the best quality candidate out there. And I think that that's part of what we're seeing is a reaction to Diego as a candidate. And uh, when you add on the other factors that are going on, that might be one race where we see, you know, the the environment making a significant difference. But for most of the House and Senate races, probably not. Because um, I know uh, I don't want to. I want to say back in the in the, in the Kansas election, like I said, like I said, you know, as we sort of relate relate back to the, to the abortion issue, in the, in the Kansas area, there was a lot of the a lot of that blue that people voted to to not change the constitution 
we're in sort of the, the, the suburbs of the major, quote unquote, urban populations. Could you see something like that impacting Indiana here? Like I said, where maybe like a race with a Jerry Tour or, or a Kyle Walker, you know, in sort of that suburban no, sort of Donut County area where Republicans could uh, maybe say maybe face some uphill challenges that they weren't fa- exp- they, that they weren't expecting. That certainly could be the case when you look around the country, not only Kansas, but here rural areas are quite consistently Republican areas. Suburban areas can be considered, let's call them swing areas, urban areas, traditionally uh, strong places for the Democrats. And when you start looking at some of those donut areas, or for that matter, the new district up here in Fort Wayne area. Uh, obviously, when you look over in Northwest uh, and for that matter, down Southwest Indiana, the potential exists for that to happen. But this is where I get to, is there a quality candidate to push that? If there's not, then, you know, instead of winning 65-35, maybe somebody wins 60-40, which is not beating the margin, so to speak, but is still a victory. Uh, There really has to be a quality candidate on the other side of the aisle in most cases. Don't get me wrong. There will be some. I'm sure when we talk after the election, you're going (laughs) to throw this back in my face and you're going to say, no, look what happened in district such and such. And I'll have to say, you're right. That's the exception that proves the rule. Our guest of the program today is my good friend, Andy Downs, uh, emeritus professor at the Mike Downs Center for Indiana Politics at Purdue University. Fort Wayne. Just sort of getting a, a lay of the landscape here uh, in Indiana uh, with the election about 70 days away and some change. Uh, and let's change gears a little bit, talk about the, the U.S. Senate race. you got uh, Todd Young. Uh, you also have Tom McDermott. Uh, they've got one debate scheduled, uh, the debate commission that came out uh, today, uh, sort of TBA to to, to, to uh place and manner to be arranged to be to be announced a little bit later um obviously uh todd young is considered the the odds on favorite but i don't necessarily think you can completely rule out tom mcdermott no you can't i mean that's somebody whose name my goodness how many years has he been talked about as a potential statewide candidate it's been a long time proven vote getter so he can't be ignored and let's face it todd young who's a pretty conservative member of congress he has said some things, done some things that might turn off some of the far more, more further right members of or voters within the, the Republican Party. It probably won't be enough to change the outcome of the election. Uh, the question for me is what kind of resources can uh, can McDermott get put on his side? Uh, we I, I know what people are going to say is we can look in the past and say, well, Joe Donnelly had a bunch of money behind him and he should have been able to win. And Evan Bayh had a bunch of money behind him. And he should have been able to win. John Gregg had a bunch of money, should have been able to win. So it might actually be hard for McDermott to raise the money to run a, a really significant statewide uh, case. So even if some Republicans are a little cool toward Tom Todd Young, they may not be interested in voting for a libertarian or a Democrat or a write-in candidate. And so that, you know, they may just not vote in that particular race. So for, for the folks who are looking to handicap the race, as I know quite often people are doing, the 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 safer bet is probably on Young, but I wouldn't necessarily make that bet just yet because you got to see with a couple of months to go how much money comes in uh, in that race in total. Um, like I said, and like I said, and it, and it ties back again once again to the to the abortion issue, so to speak, because you have a lot of uh, women who are who are sort of mad and ticked off, and uh, a lot of Republic, a lot of Democrats have been sort of raising money on this issue. So uh, I would expect Tom McDermott would be sort of tapping in uh, to some of those some of those finance, some of those dollars that are out there, uh, you know, from women or from organizations that are that are mad about once again the abortion issue. Yeah, that's that's certainly going to be a place, and I think you know the special election in New York is maybe indicative of the potential to raise money and rally voters. Uh, a lot of people said, well, Kansas 
but that was different because that was about a specific provision within the state constitution. And some people would have even said the government, even even sort of more conservative individuals would have said, I want less government, not more government. And the moment you start restricting someone's rights, you're actually creating more government. So there may have been some very conservative individuals voting against that amendment in in Kansas. But the special election, man, he ran on that issue. And so I think that that is giving us additional information that says the abortion ruling is a more important issue than maybe some people thought it was going to be. And, and also, it's not I'm, a simple one. It's not like this straight, you know, if you're a D, this is where you stand. If you're an R, that's where you stand. I think I think we're starting to see that this this blurs some lines here. And I, and I remind folks, too, to keep in mind that that, that's, uh, that District 19, I believe it was, in New York, uh, it's kind of been sort of a barometer for what's going to happen in the general election because Barack Obama won it, uh, Donald Trump won it, then Joe Biden won it, and they it, it, it's sort of it's sort of a barometer, so to speak. Yeah, the bellwether is the term a lot of people are starting to use about that one. I don't know if we can call it a bellwether. It certainly is a good indicator of something because it is a tight district. It's a swing district. Uh, and maybe that's the way for us to be thinking about it. But it was also a primary election where Democrats are held the same day as a primary, I should say. And in that state, more Democrats are going to show up than Republicans in a primary election. So that could have been or primary election day, excuse me, that could have been part of the explanation. But it certainly can't be ignored, and it suggests that the Republicans may not end up with the big swing they're hoping for. It doesn't mean they're not going to win the House, but it may not be as big a victory as they're hoping for. Our guest on the program today is our good friend Andy Downs of the Mike Downs Center for Indiana Politics, Purdue University of Fort Wayne, Professor Emeritus of the Mike Downs Center uh, these days. And so, Andy, we appreciate you being with us. Uh, uh, let's uh if we could move over to the first congressional district up in northwest Indiana, you've got uh, the incumbent Frank Mervan against Jennifer Ruth Green. Jennifer, uh, I want to say the Cook Political Report kind of moved it from from a from a solid Democrat to a sort of a leans Democrat. Uh, there was a poll out by USA Term Limits that had Frank Mervan forty seven, Jennifer Ruth Green uh, forty. Have rumors of Frank Mervan's uh, political demise been grossly exaggerated so far? <laughs> You know, we go looking for the exciting race. And if you're looking in Indiana, that's probably the one that you can at least consider to be exciting. As we all know, that one, when it was Esklowski in that seat, boy, you know, you're talking 60 plus percent of the vote regularly. Mervan did not perform that well two years ago. I mean, still won resoundingly, but it was not a 60 percent win. It was not a Esklowski win. Um, and and uh, Ruth Green is an exciting candidate. I mean, she raised a lot of money, beat Blair Milo in that primary. So there are a lot of people who are saying maybe this is the place where a big difference can be made. And when you couple that with the fact that outside money might be a little slow to come in in support of a Democratic candidate in the state, maybe outside money will flood in for a Republican candidate and end up with a surprise up there. But it is still safe to say that is a district that is a, a Democratic-leaning or more district with an exciting race going on. Uh, and also uh, moving right next door to the second congressional district, uh, we had a, a, a caucus uh, this past weekend. Uh, Rudy Yacom won uh, on the first ballot overwhelmingly against 12 other folks, including uh, Curtis Hill, uh, Christy Stutzman, and Kurt Nicely. And I, I'll tell you this about, about that second district caucus, my friend. I was actually on my computer ready to sit there all day. And just wait, just let this work work itself out. You know, maybe one or two candidates at a time. I was somewhat surprised that I figured Yakin would probably win, but I didn't think he'd win on the first ballot. 
Anybody who tells you they saw that coming is lying to you, I think, <laughs> or, or doesn't watch these things carefully. I was surprised, too. I don't know that I thought it was going to go as many rounds as you thought, but that went quickly. We know historically, and this is across the country, when the widow or widower of someone who dies uh, throws their, their support behind somebody, that's usually pretty good for the next election. You know, it may not work two elections out or three elections out, but in that moment, there are, there's sympathy, there's good feeling, uh, there's a lot of emotion in the race, and, and people are going to go with that or consider that recommendation pretty seriously. Uh, I'll throw on top of that something you and I have talked about before. Curtis Hill, for all the problems he had, was the top vote-getter when he was on a November ballot and has been sort of working his way back into the possibility of running for office. That's why I thought it would go more than one round. I figured he would be able to pull especially among, you know, Republican precinct committee people, I thought he'd be able to pull a few more votes. And it's, in, and it's interesting, too, because I figured I figured it would I figured it would probably come down to uh, Rudy Yockham and Curtis Hill uh, and Curtis Hill came in second, uh, but still really, really won like by almost like a three to one, a three to one margin. And I was not surprised uh, at what happened to Curt Nicely and Chrissy Sussman, knowing their sort of personalities and how they sort of operated and, and just sort of knowing, knowing, knowing some of how that district works politically. Yeah, this is, and uh, when you think about the politics of it, that certainly has to come into play. Uh, but with Nisley, you have somebody who was clearly out of step with leadership in the party, uh, in the state house, and that was going to turn off some of the precinct committee pe- people voters uh, because they're pragmatic. You know, they they understand control is one thing; it's no good if you're not getting done what you want to get done. So if you're always out of step with the majority leadership. Then or your leadership, that's not a good thing. And then with Stutzman, you know, you had somebody who won an election and then and stepped away, and for what might be very valid reasons. But for a lot of people, they're like, hey, you know, we were all going through some stuff here, and you stepped away from the race we elected you to. You asked us to vote for you. We backed you. We walked neighborhoods with you, et cetera, et cetera. That can actually cost you some. And throw on top of that the fact that you know Marlin was a member of of the uh, the House of Representatives and what could be considered a safe seat, and he chose to try and run for higher office. Some people might say that's just a you know a couple that are uh, upward upwardly mobile individuals, and they don't show commitment to something. And so I think I think maybe some of that came into play as well. As I jokingly said, the greatest social climber since Cinderella. If I could quote the movie of Vita, <laughs> just just throwing it out there, my friend. But 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 the one thing that like I said that that, that like I said just just sort of surprised me the fact that. Yakim uh, won on that on that first go around because they, they they gave the speeches for about an hour or so and then they did the vote and then and Rudy won and and, and I agree with you a lot of that sympathy I sort of call it that that emotional fallout because Jackie's mm-hmm. funeral was just so close you know to the actual caucus that uh, that there that people were still feeling sympathy uh, for her for her family and the fact that her husband and her mother endorsed Rudy Yakim I, I you got to admit that helped oh absolutely absolutely uh, you know. Endorsements work if you can leverage them. And in a, you know, a primary election campaign or a general election campaign, the, the endorsement that doesn't show up in a piece of mail or television commercial or get used on social media, those really don't mean anything. But when you're all standing in the room and uh, someone's widow or widower stands up and says, this is the person who should replace my spouse, man, that's an endorsement that's leveraged immediately. So I, I, I agree. I think that, that that helped tremendously for him. I do like the fact that there were some folks who referred to him as a political outsider, Yakim as a political outsider, which I find amusing when you're the finance director 
or somebody. I don't think you're a political outsider any longer. And he and he played that role for uh, Representative Walorski a couple times. Andy Downs with us for a few minutes on the program today. Uh, so, Andy, as you as we look at the the, the overall thirty thousand foot view of Indiana, the couple minutes we have left here, how do you how do you see uh, the election turning out? Knowing that a day in politics is a lifetime, anything <laughs> can happen because people were some people were, first people talk about a big giant red tidal wave. Now, like uh, maybe it's maybe it's not just a tidal wave anymore. Maybe it's a little, something a little bit smaller, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. I I, I give my disclaimer. Uh, I get to explain why I was wrong after the election. That that's my disclaimer that I'm going to give you. Uh, I do think that we'll, we will see higher turnout than we normally would see in a midterm election, which, keep in mind, ain't that great for Indiana because we are typically in the bottom 10 states for turnout. So we'll see bigger turnout. We'll see some elections that are closer, maybe even flip because of that bigger turnout. But I don't anticipate any seismic shifts. The one possibility, at least to what Democrats will consider to be the big victory, is if they do manage to win the Secretary of State's race. They will they will tout that as a huge, huge victory. You know, picking up one or two seats in the House or the Senate, they'll talk about that and they'll be happy with that. But it's it's winning a statewide race that will make them say, see, we have we are we are back in the game. And I, and I would not be surprised if there are a number of Republicans who have some hard feelings about uh, Diego Morales winning. Uh, the campaign convention, all the other issues he's had, and some other other issues that are still out there that have yet to yet to drop. So keep an eye out on that one. Saying that's it, we'll give we'll give it to the Democrats for four years, and we'll just come back and get another candidate, and, and then take the seat back. Exactly. And and when you are a dominant party like the Republican Party, you can do that. You can say we're going to give up on this seat, and you know that's easy to do in like the Indiana House or the Indiana Senate. It's a little more painful to do for a statewide race, but I think they could probably get away with that. All right. Well, our guest on the program today has been our good friend, Andy Downs, emeritus of the Mike Downs Center for Indiana Politics at Purdue University, Fort Wayne. So, Andy, uh, we'll be talking again in November. So, FYI. So, uh, I got this conversation recorded so we can go back and, and, talk, and sort of check off where we were right and where we were wrong. And we'll bring our good friend, uh, Dr. Laura Wilson, in with us, too. So, Sounds good. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.